Well, good morning, West Cabarrus Church. So good to see you here this morning. If you are a guest, my name is Ryan Epley. I'm one of our pastors here. We're glad that you've joined us and just invite you to stick six weeks with us. Stick six is what we say to hear about our heart and mission for the glory of God. So come for the next six weeks, hear a little bit about who we are, get to know us a little bit better, help us get to know you as well. But we're glad that you're here today. And if you're joining us online for the first time, welcome to you also. We're going to continue through this series of Believe and Live. I've been inviting you and encouraging you guys, that verse that you just saw go through on that video, that's a verse from the Gospel of John. John chapter 20 tells us that. So I encourage you to memorize that, to think on that. Because every passage that we look at, we're going to see how John is inviting you and me to believe. As we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we would have life and life everlasting. So we're going to continue that today in John chapter 2. So I hope you brought a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, we have one in the lobby. Love for you to take that as a gift after service. But we'll be in John chapter 2, the last part of John chapter 2. Now it's interesting because last week at the beginning of John 2, we looked at Jesus doing his first miracle that he turned water into wine. We see him at a a great party, and there's a feast going on, and Jesus helps to fill the table, right, to create a good party, to celebrate that marriage. Today we're going to see Jesus come in and cleanse the temple. We're going to see him flip tables. And it's, it's interesting, it's a little odd, because last week, like I said, we're looking at Jesus filling the tables, and today we're looking at Jesus flipping the tables. And here they are, back to back, in the same chapter, because they're the same Christ. He is the one who fills our tables, but at times he's the one that will flip tables in our hearts and our lives. So that's what we're going to see. Let's look, starting in verse 13. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. He told those who were selling pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Now, this is important. Don't miss this. Because what he's going to say here at the last part of verse 22 in the beginning of verse 23 is the heartbeat of the Gospel of John. That verse of what the purpose is behind it all. Look at 22. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the mighty God. You are not weak or feeble, 
but you are the Lord God Almighty. You're worthy of our worship, and you have made the way for our worship through your sacrifice. So Lord, I ask this morning that you would spark belief in us today, that we would see more of you and believe. Now let me invite you in just this moment of silence to pray and ask that God would would speak to you, would spark belief in your heart today. No matter where you are in your faith, whether you're struggling to believe or whether you're faithful to the Lord, pray that God would speak to you now. Pray now. And pray for me as we look at this passage from God's word that I would communicate it in a way that glorifies him and helps us to love him more. Pray for me now. Holy Spirit, would you help us to believe today and in believing, find life. Amen. All right, I've always found it fascinating um, how pictures, just the, the view, just a picture, an image, a snapshot can stir our hearts and our souls. It's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, just a little snapshot, a little image can impact us so much. And our culture picks up on it. Our culture sees it. It's one of the reasons why Hollywood is so influential, right? They can take a story and put it to an image. And as you see that image, it stirs your heart in some form or fashion, right? You can probably think of movies that you saw that you're like, man, that movie really impacted me. Social media sees it as well. We're we're seeing social media move more and more towards photos and less and less about words because there's just something about an image that we see and it just kind of stirs or sparks inspiration in our, our lives. And so that's happening all around us. And I was thinking about it this week because there's several pictures or images that I think about that do that, that kind of inspire or spark in my heart just truth and joy. So one that I'd love for you to share, i got several, but one is a picture of Jackie Robinson. Now, even if it wasn't Jackie Robinson, just the fact that it's baseball, right, should spark a little bit of joy in our heart, in our life. But if you know the story about Jackie Robinson, the first man that broke the, the color ba- barrier in baseball, And you see a picture like that of him sliding in and playing in a game. And there's something inspiring about that. Something about his endurance and his strength. And and all it is is a snapshot, right? All it is is a little glimpse of Jackie Robinson. And yet that picture, if we think about it, stirs us in some form or fashion. Or the Battle of Iwo Jima photo. Maybe you've seen this statue. You hadn't known where it's come from. But the Battle of Iwo Jima in World War II was one of the worst battles you can imagine. A lot of those guys said it was literally hell on earth what they saw and experienced. And as they're moving forward in victory, they climb up this hill and they put the flag in, the flag of victory, and they're celebrating. So we look at that picture and we think about the victory in that moment. And there's something that that stirs in us. We're just like, man, that's amazing. A hard-fought battle with a picture of victory behind it. Or maybe it's not even a person. Maybe what image comes to your mind or what you think about is something like Machu Picchu. It's beautiful where this is located in Peru, up on a mountain. And you sit there and you think, how in the world did people at that time build a city on a mountaintop? I mean, even today, it'll take you a whole day to get up there, riding a train and getting to that point. And yet, they were able to build a whole city up there. And you look at that and you're like, man, one, it's an amazing view. But two, 
man, the work and the effort and the sacrifice they put in to that. Man, it's, just, it's, mount, it's amazing. It's astounding, right? Or maybe you think about the northern lights. We look at pictures like this and we almost think this is fake. Now, this can't be real. But if you go far, far enough north, you'll see this beauty of the lights in our atmosphere. And it's glorious. You look at that and you're like, this is amazing. This is astounding. Just the image of that stirs within us. Now, what's fascinating is I've never been to, to any of those places. <laughs> and yet, I still look at the photo and it stirs my heart. It's fascinating, isn't it? We haven't been there. I've never met Jackie Robinson. I've never met anybody that was at Iwo Jima. I've been to Peru, but never been to Machu Picchu. And yet I can look at these images and it sparks something within me. And I tell you that today because this passage, I believe, gives us two images of Christ. And as we look at these two images, even though we weren't there in the temple, even though we weren't there standing beside the disciples, it should spark in our heart belief. That's what it did to the disciples. And that's what Paul is saying my whole book is about. That it would spark belief in your heart and in your life. I pray that it would do that today. And even if you know Jesus, that it would grow your belief in him. That it would fan the flame of the fire that God has already placed there. So the first image I want us to see is the fact that Jesus is a roaring lion. Jesus is a roaring lion that's zealous for our worship. He's a roaring lion zealous for our worship. Now, in verse 13... It says that this is the time of the Passover. This is the setting. This helps us know what's going on. And if we don't know what the Passover is, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you can go back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. You can read this story about how God rescued his people from slavery. And as he rescued them, the, the last act that they did was to have a Passover meal where a lamb was sacrificed and blood was put over the doorpost so that judgment for their sins would not come on their heads but would be on that lamb. And so every year after that, the, the Jewish people would gather together and they would celebrate and praise God for the Passover, for the salvation and the deliverance that God has brought to them. So that's why they're there. But there's a lot of people that have come. You see, the Jewish faith had grown and it even reached Spain at that time. And so people would travel all the way from Spain and other places to come back to Jerusalem to remember and to celebrate Passover. So Jerusalem normally would have about a quarter of a million people in the city. So it's still a lot of people. That was a normal time. But during Passover, historians say it would be somewhere between one million and two million people that would come into the city. That's a lot of people for that city. I mean, if you're trying to imagine it in your mind, think of Walmarts on a Black Friday, pre-COVID, and uh, and add a quarter of a million animals and cattle to that, okay? That's what the city looked like. I mean, it was crazy. So that's the, the setting. That's what's going on in this moment. We're going to see Jesus coming to the temple, the place of worship, and he's roaring like a lion. He's angry in this moment. And you've got to sit here and say, why does he seem to be so angry? Why is he flipping tables and he's making a cord of whips? Like, what in the world is happening in this moment? Well, I think there's a couple reasons why Jesus gets mad in this moment. It says in verse 14 that in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep. Now, I don't think that one of the reasons that Jesus is mad and upset is because people are selling oxen and sheep or that there's money changers in there for people to worship God. I don't believe that's why Jesus is upset. 
And the reason why I would say that is because if you look back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 14, God actually established this for right worship. Deuteronomy 14, verses 24 and 25 says this. And if the way is too long for you, so you're not able to carry your tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses, to set his name there, speaking of the temple. Then you shall turn it into money, bind up that money in your hand, and then go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. What Deuteronomy 14 is saying is if you live far away, right, like if you lived in Spain at that time, but you wanted to go and worship God and remember the sacrifice that he made for you, then you take your cattle or your sacrifice of offering that you're going to make and you sell it in your hometown. You take that money and you go to Jerusalem and then you buy another oxen. You buy another thing to sacrifice and give to the Lord. See, God has established this, that you should buy and sell when you can if you're too far away. So Jesus isn't upset with them in this moment because they're selling. See, God created this, this system to help create right worship. The reason why Jesus is so angry in this moment is because the people have taken this right way of worship and used it to defraud God's people, take advantage of them. You see, you had these sellers in here that were taking advantage of, of the people. People were coming in and they're like, hey, I sold this oxen over here for 20 pieces of silver. I'd love to buy another one so I can give to the Lord with joy and sacrifice to him and remember his great sacrifice for me. But they're like, okay, it was, it was 20 pieces of silver there. It's 100 pieces of silver here. And they're like, what? Like, what? How am I supposed to do that? And they were taking advantage of the people for wealth. So much so in, in Matthew chapter 21, we see this scene again where Jesus is coming in. He's turning over the tables. And Jesus makes this statement. He says in Matthew 21, It is written, my house should be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of of robbers. They're robbing people. History even says that people would come in with their sacrifices and these sellers would say, no, that's not good enough. Whatever offering that you're bringing is not good enough. That's not nice enough lamb. That's not a great enough ox. And so you're going to have to sell us your ox and your offering and then we'll turn around and sell you ours, which is better for more money. I mean, they were robbing people. And this is what makes Jesus upset. That they're defrauding God's people, that they're robbing from and taking from them. And it's almost like a pyramid scheme because it's not just the people that are selling the, the oxen and the sheep and all this stuff, but it's the money changers. Now, if you're like, what's the money changers about? What is, what's going on there? Well, they had a temple tax that was due every year. And you had to come in and you had to make an offering. Well, the only way you could do that is if you used their coin. Because the people at the temple said, nope, we don't take Roman currency here. We don't do it because that's got the picture of Caesar on it. Caesar claims to be God, and so you're going to have to buy our money in order to buy these things. So they're literally taking Roman currency that was good throughout the whole empire, and they're saying you've got to use our money, which was like Chuck E. Cheese money. It was only able to be used in the store, in that place, right? And they're exchanging it at this crazy rate. I mean, we know what money changers are in our time. I mean, anybody that's traveled out of the country has an understanding of what a money changer is. I mean, you fly out of our country and you go to another country and you get off the airplane and you got your $100 American money. Well, in order to eat food and things like that in that country, you have to go to one of these booths, right? This currency exchange. 
You give them your $100 and they give you back maybe $95 because they take a little bit for their interest, right? And that's, that's kind of what it's like for current day, but that's what's happening in John 2. Except the people are coming with their, quote, kind of $100 to the exchange people. And they're saying, thank you for that $100. Here's $20 back. And they're taking advantage of them. They're robbing God's people. And Jesus is upset about that. I mean, biblically, these people could sell this stuff, but it had to be at a reasonable rate, and it should have been outside of the temple. And yet here they are inside of the temple with a jacked-up rate. So Jesus is upset about this. He's mad. But this is what blows my mind. The people of God are still being generous to give and to worship God. I mean, you'd think some of those people would be like, if this is what it's all about, I'm out. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. And yet they say, we're going to continue to worship. Even if it costs us more, we're going we're to give and we're going to worship. So even though they're being taken advantage of in this moment, they see the, the opportunity to worship God and to be generous as more important. And so they're like, I know we can't do anything about it. We're stuck. But they saw the worship of God as more important, so they did it. And you see the sellers and the money changers, they knew that there was nowhere else they could go. They're trapped. If they're going to worship, they're going to have to buy this Chuck E. Cheese money. And they're going to have to pay these high rates. They knew that. It's kind of like for, for my family, we go down to Disney World, right? My kids are like, I'd like some water. I'm like, that's not a bad ask. And so I go and I go get them a cup of water, right? Bottled water at Disney is like $10. Like $10 for a bottle of water? They're like, yeah, 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 but they've already got you, right? You're in the park. You can't get out. You're going to have to spend the $10. And part of me wants to look at my kids and be like, I love you a lot, but you're going to have to go in the bathroom, turn on the faucet, and just like drink, drink out of the faucet. Like I could dig wells for cheaper than they're selling bottles of water there. But why do you do it? Because you have to, right? There's no other option. And that's what's happening in this moment. And it makes God mad. It makes him upset. And so that's what Jesus has seen. This is what the roaring lion is roaring about. He comes in and he sees the temple and God's people being taken advantage of. And he walks in there and he basically is saying, what in the name of me is going on in this place? Like he's upset. He's mad. And so yes, he's going to flip tables. He's going to get upset. He's seen the, the temple, which is supposed to be a, a place of worship, being used as a place to expand wealth. And so this is why Jesus is mad in this moment. This is why he's roaring. He's seeing the sin of greed in people's lives, and he's going to do something about it. But he's not only upset that they're taking advantage of people, but he's also upset because they've lost their heart for the lost and the outsider to worship God. We see this in both Mark's gospel as well as Matthew's gospel. When it tells a story about Jesus going in there, he says, My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, we pray for the nations, but that's not what Jesus is talking about at that moment. He's not saying that they could come here and pray for all nations. No, this was a place that all nations, every tribe, tongue, everyone could come in and praise and worship God. That's what, he, that's what his heartbeat was. That's how the temple was created. And yet, if you know a little bit about the temple, you had the outside court where every nation could come, the Gentiles. That's where most of us, if not all of us, would be. And then you had this inner court where the Jewish people could come and worship and pray to God. And then you had the holies of holies right in the center of that where only one man could go, the high priest, once a year, Passover, to praise God, right? Make a sacrifice. 
in both in Matthew and Mark, it tells us that these sellers and these money changers and all these this cattle, all of them are in that outer area where the nations were supposed to come and worship. That outer area where the Gentiles were supposed to come in and to worship the Lord. And so Jesus is mad because they have lost what the purpose of the temple was supposed to be. It was for all people. And in here in verse 16 it says, you've made it a house of trade. you made it all about money and it's meant to be about worship. So Jesus is getting mad. He's getting upset. That's why he's throwing tables over. Because what was supposed to be a place where all could come in to worship the king of all creation. Now they're saying, now this is for religious people. This place, this temple, this is a place where only churchy people can go. Those that grew up and went to Sunday school, they're welcomed here. But any outsider, we don't have space for them. That's where our money changers are. That's where our cattle are. And Jesus gets out the whip and he's like, no, get the money changers out of here. Get the sellers out of here. Get these animals out of here because this is a place for all people to come and to worship me. And Jesus is upset in this moment. They have lost their heart for the lost. And Jesus is angry. He's angry. He's invited the nations to come and to pray and to worship him. And they have made it impossible for them to come. So yes, the zeal comes out. It says in verse 17 that while all this is going on, the disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. <laughs> and if you read this story, I'm thankful that, that God reminded them of this passage in Psalm 69 verse 9. Because it doesn't tell us that Jesus told them what he was doing. Like he comes on the scene and he starts flipping tables and making a, a whip and I got to think the disciples are like, whoa, 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 if you could just tell us what this is about first, like maybe we'll understand. And it, he doesn't. He just comes in and starts doing this. And then they remember this passage, zeal for your house will consume me. And that word for zeal right there means jealous. In scripture, it tells us that our God is a jealous God. And you got to realize that our God is a roaring lion who will roar at anything in our lives that would try to still worship from him because he loves us too much to allow us to worship something that will shrivel our souls and so what he does in this moment is he is jealous for our worship now don't misunderstand this don't get confused about God's jealousy God is not jealous of you okay God is not in heaven looking down and saying man I really wish I was as smart as that person or I really wish I had as much money as that person. That's not the jealousy of God. Our God is not jealous of you. He is jealous for you and for me. It's because he loves us. God loves us too much to let us settle for less. He wants to give us abundant life that we're longing for and we're searching for in all these other places. He wants to give you worship that will satisfy your soul and not shrink it. He wants to give you a drink that will not leave you thirsty. He wants to give you worship, which will give you everlasting joy. Jesus is jealous for you and for me and for her worship. The heartbeat of God is to drive out every distraction from your worship. Not just in the temple in John chapter 2, but even today in the deep recessions of our hearts, the dark places that we think no one sees, God wants to go in there and roar like a lion and flip those tables. That we would worship him because he's better. Now, I know some people read passages like this or even think about Jesus not knowing much about the Bible, and they're like, man, Jesus is just a killjoy. 
Like he's roaring like a lion. He's flipping tables over. Like, come on, Jesus is just a killjoy. I don't want anything to do with that God. Let me say, if that's your your argument of why you haven't believed in Jesus, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And don't forget that literally last week we're looking at Jesus at a wedding feast that's turning water into wine. He's celebrating. He's giving joy. He's filling up the table. You see, Jesus isn't coming in here angry and old man sitting next door like, don't walk on my lawn. That's not what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's looking and he's fighting for our joy. He's fighting for our worship. He knows that's what our hearts long for. And yet we tend to, to try to make the small, weak things hold the weight of our life, and it can't do it. It can't do it. And so, yes, Jesus will come into our life, and he will flip over our tables. Sometimes he'll fill our tables with a feast. And Jesus is always working on us because he has a greater joy in mind than we can even imagine. I love how C.S. Lewis describes it. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild the house, and at first you, you understand perhaps what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and those are jobs you knew need to be done, so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house and shaking the house about in ways that hurt. It doesn't seem to make any sense to you anymore. You sit here and think, what on earth is he up to? The explanation is he's building a quite different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing up a new wing here. He's adding an extra floor there. He's running up towers and making a courtyard. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he was building a palace. He intends to come and live in yourself. Jesus has far grander desires than what we would try to find our joy and worship in. We tend to try to make little things, ultimate things in our life. We try to live our life and give our thoughts to our jobs as the ultimate meaning for us and our worship, to relationships or possessions. We fight all we can for comfort in our life because that is our ultimate. Jesus will come in and roar like a lion and flip those tables over and say, no, 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 that comfort, it's fleeting. I give you peace like the world doesn't know. You think that job is going to last? Wait until you retire. Wait until you get fired. You're not going to find the support you need. I have all that you need. This relationship that you thought would last forever has ended. And Jesus is like, I'm the only one that will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is roaring. He's fighting because he's better. And he wants to give us better. He doesn't want us to settle for less. And so he's roaring like a lion because he loves us. He loves us. So my point of application, my, my, my challenge to you is that we, as a church family, would identify what hinders our holiness and robs us of our worship. That we would take time to pray and consider the sins in our hearts and our lives, whatever we're holding on to as our significance and importance and identity above God. Look for those things, identify them, and then repent or turn from those things. This is what Jesus is doing. He's flipping tables because he's like, this is not right. And sadly, too often, Jesus comes into our life and he flips tables over. The the table of lust, the table of greed, the table of comfort. He'll flip those over. And when he leaves, we, we go and we set the table back up. We put everything right back on the table where we had it. And Jesus is like, no, no. 
I flip that table because I want to build something new. I roar in the echo of your heart because you need me in that area. I'm the only thing that's going to satisfy. So take time to consider, to pray, to identify those things that keep you from worshiping God. And repent and turn from those things. Remember the image of the roaring lion and may it spark belief that he is better. He's better. And the second image I want us to see in this text is the image of the lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb defeating death and offering life. We've seen that all throughout the first two chapters of John over and over again that Jesus is the lamb. But then he's going to use his words to paint a picture here of how he's the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Verses 18 through the end of the chapter, there's just all this talk about temple. And I think it's important for us just to stop for a minute and and to think about and know what the temple is. Because when we think about temple, we think about Hollywood version of the temple, right? Like we're thinking of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, a big boulder chasing the tomb tomb raider, you know, like as he runs in the tomb. That's kind of what goes to our mind when we think of tomb or we think of Lara Croft or something like that or Crash Bandicoot. I don't know. That's what comes to our mind as we think about the temple. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe you think of temple and you're like, it's kind of spooky, like the stone mason and we don't know what's going on there. And this temple is like something like hocus pocus that happens. Like we don't have a good understanding of what the temple is. But biblically, the Jews would have understood at this point. Anybody that had read the Old Testament would have understood what they're talking about as a dialogue about the temple. The temple, biblically speaking, is a place where heaven met earth. It's a place where the divine met with the human. It's where they intersected. So in the Old Testament, as the temple's being built, it describes it as God's presence would dwell there in the holies of holies, and it was his footstool. The God would literally be in heaven, and he would kind of prop his feet up there on the temple. And so it was the presence of God would dwell there. And so when it talks about the temple here, when they're saying, who who gave you the right to do these things, that's what they're thinking about. Who gave you a right to come in here and disturb these things? Because this is how we think we should get from earth up to heaven. And Jesus is going to respond and say, no, 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 no. All these things that are happening, all these sacrifices, this temple itself, this is just a shadow. I'm the substance. I'm the substance. They, they even say, you know, who gave you the right to do this? And he's like, hey, you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it. And they laugh at him basically. They're like, it took 46 years to build this temple. 46, and you're going to do it in three days? I mean, we don't have cranes at this time. We don't have uh, probably a certain type of construction worker or dump trucks bringing all this stuff in. And yet Jesus is going to say he can do it in three days? What is he talking about here? Well, Jesus is talking about the sacrifice he was going to make, like that lamb. Jesus knows that the way that he's going to get us from earth to heaven is through his body. That he was going to go and be a sacrificial lamb on the cross to die for our sins so that we could get to heaven. He was going to bridge that gap. That's what's happening in this moment. And he's saying, I'm going to do it through my body. Literally, I'm the one that has brought heaven down to earth. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. I'm right here. And what's fascinating is this temple is not the temple in the Old Testament that Solomon built. This is the temple that Herod built. And nowhere at this time was there any mention that God's presence was in Herod's temple. None. This is just kind of a symbol of what used to be. And then the presence of God walks into the temple and people don't even recognize it. 
They don't even see that this is the glory of God there, the one that has left heaven and come to earth. What they're longing for in this time is that heaven would come to earth and it's there right in front of them and they can't even see it. They can't even see it. But this is what's happening. This is what's doing in this moment. When Jesus makes this statement that he is the temple, he's shifting their eyes from this building of stone to his body. This is a big deal. Because Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the cross. They don't need the sacrificial system anymore, for I am the lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. You don't need a reform system. You don't need me to modify your system. You need a savior. And that's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus is. And so it's, it's him building the bridge between us and God. And let this settle in for a minute. Just let this truth that Jesus is the temple that brings us to God. When he makes this statement, what he's saying is, I'm the sacrifice. I'll pay the penalty. I'm the priest. I'm the altar. I'm the lamb who was slain. I'm the one who bridges the gap. I'm not only the God on the other side of the gap, I'm the one that's going to make the way for you to come to me. This is what Jesus does over and over again. And this temple, the one that Jesus builds, is not like any other temple the world has ever seen. See, every other temple and every other religion all says you make your way to God. You build a bridge. You come in and you bridge the gap. Every other temple says you have to have a priest, a human priest that will stand in your place. You have to make human sacrifices or animal sacrifices. Every other one, you have to pay a price. But when Jesus comes in and says, I'm the temple, no, he says, I've paid the price. I've made the way. I am the lamb that was slain. I'm the one that's going to not only take on the sin of the world, but I'm going to defeat it. I'm going to be the one that's going to take on death and then raise from the dead. This is what Jesus promises us. He takes our place. He is our temple that we could be with God forever. So as we look at this passage, as we consider this truth, those images that Jesus being the lion and the lamb should spark in our hearts belief. Jared Emerson He's a Christian artist, and he painted this picture. And he entitled this picture, The Lion and the Lamb. And it's funny because you might look at it and say, I clearly see the lion, but where's the lamb? And the lamb is the picture of Christ behind it with the thorns on his head. You see, Jesus is the lion who roars for our worship and turns over our sins in our lives. But he's also the lamb that gave his life, took on a crown of thorns, and died in our place. This is the image that we should see as we look at this passage. This is what should stir our hearts. I have two points of application that as you take this image, you take these thoughts, I have encouraged you to live out. First is to believe in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus today. Today. You believe in the cross of resurrection. That's what the disciples did. They, re- they believed the scripture, they remembered the words of Christ, and they believed. They saw the work of Christ, and they believed, verse 23 says. Would you do the same as you see this? You might be sitting here thinking, I don't even know if I can believe. Like, I've done so many things that are wrong. I am so far away from God. God has made a way. That's why he cleared out the temple. That's why he roared. 
so that all those who are far from God could draw near. That's why he laid down his life. And you might think, you don't know what I've done, Ryan. You don't know who I've done. You don't know how I've lived my life or the pain and suffering. You don't know all of those things. But Jesus does. In this passage in verse 24 and 25, I love this. It says that Jesus knew all people. In verse 25 it says, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's in you. He knows what you're addicted to, what you struggle with. He knows that table that he's turned over that you continue to set back up. He knows that all, and yet he loved you and was willing to give his life for you. And so would you look and believe, not just look and know. It's not about the information. It's about the transformation of the heart. Would you look and believe in Jesus today? And second, if you are a believer, would you treasure the cross and the resurrection Every day. We don't just gather on Sunday mornings to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. We don't. We celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday. This is the good news. That we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear our sins. Jesus is defeated all of that if we would come to him. And so may we take time to reflect on the goodness of the cross and the resurrection every single day. May you look and remember that he is the temple that has made the way. May we be faithful to invite all to come to believe in him. Jesus has made a way for you. Would you come today? Bow your heads with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are both the, the lion and the lamb. And Lord, I pray that you would be both to us here today. Help us to repent of our sin. Lord, help us to be people that want to worship you with our, our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything about us. And Lord, the places where we fall short, Lord, would you flip those tables and allow you to see us to see you as better. Lord, I pray for the person right now who is looking to you as just somebody that's a killjoy. May they see you as the giver of joy today. The one who flips the tables of their life in order to fill their tables and their lives with something better. And Lord, I ask that you would do that today. For those of us who are believers, help us to treasure the cross and the resurrection. Those areas in our lives that we struggle, God, may we look to you for our hope. Those of us who feel the sorrow and the grief of death, may we look to you to have the hope of the resurrection. Because you didn't just defeat death. You said all who believe in you would have life and life everlasting. And so give us hope today as we trust in you. The sacrificial lamb, the roaring lion. God, thank you. Thank you that our sins, that we know they are many. Lord, your mercy is more. And may it stir our hearts, may it spark our hearts of faith to sing loud to you now but also to live faithfully for you this week. Would you do that in us and through us, we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand now. Let's sing to our King.